I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, apologies. Joe Saldo, Rob Font, it was not. If I fucked up conjuring images of all-time great lower-weight battles, well, at least we got some this weekend. But before we get to the banner weights, if you didn't watch the incredible card from Friday night from LFA, which was headlined by the flyweight title fight between Charles Johnson and uh, Carlos Mota, then you have to. It was an awesome fight. Maybe not a contender for fight of the year, even this early on in the year, but a really, really good one all the same. I would say a come-from-behind victory from Johnson. Mota to me looks a little bit small. I, th- I think if if the opportunity was there, I think maybe he could squeeze himself down to 115. But um, Johnson powered through late on in the fight. The whole card was great, actually. If you haven't watched it, just really well matched up and down. Uh, some really good prospect fights and uh, well worth watching. And the, and the main event was, yeah, not the best fight this weekend even, but certainly started off in a, in a really good fashion. So if you've got a fight pass, check it out. I, I thought it was a fantastic one. But nothing really pleased me more than the, I think it was the last bout of the prelims. Clearly should have been on the main card, especially after it got so depleted. But uh, UFC 270, Howie Barcelos versus Victor Henry. Very small contingent of fans actually looking forward to this one uh, in terms of Henry as an opponent for Barcelos. And it's easy to see why. If you don't keep up with the wider world of MMA, you might not be a fan of Victor Henry. If you did, you you would almost certainly be because he's proven himself time and time again. And the thing is, he's coming into a, a hide in here because Barcelos is pretty well-received and, and well-liked by the younger MMA crowd, the type that are loud on Twitter. Seen as somewhat of a Jose Aldo light. Great takedown defence. Incredible athlete. Really fun when he lets his hands go. Brutal kicker when he actually lets him go. Coming off a terrible injustice in his last fight against Valiev. Which for me, was not a robbery in the sense that Barcelos clearly won. Or you can make the argument for him. But it was clear that he should have had a draw at least. Really terrible decision in that regard. If you're not scoring that second round of 10-8, I, I really don't know whether you should be doing that job, but again, we can say that about a lot of judges. But Victor Henry comes in and quietly under the radar, 9-1 and one in his last 10. He's actually faced fighters that if you've got half a clue about MMA, you should know. I mean, Kanahara was past it in Rising, but you know he's a well-known fighter, at least over the last 10 years or so. Kyler Phillips is a guy who's now in the UFC and has fought Song Yadong, so it's not like he's unknown. And Victor Henry beat him, although... You would struggle to see it unless you'd looked it up on YouTube like I did. And then he had two fights with uh, Denis Laurentiev. Really good fights. Which just goes to show basically with Victor Henry and who's trained him, Josh Barnett and Eric Paulson. They basically just send this kid everywhere. 
he's a Pancrase veteran. He's fought in Ryzen. He's fought in RCC. He's basically fought all around the world. This guy fights basically anyone and anywhere, anytime. And although it seems that at, I think he's 34 years old, he might well have got into the UFC too late. And he did deserve an opportunity before this. For me, I think he's going at just the right time, as, as we see in this fight. He's been some of a road warrior. He's honed his skills. He's become more and more well-rounded. I think if you just watched this fight of him, you might think he's not that much of an athlete. He is. He's got get-up ability. He's a real scrambly fighter. People take him down. He often ends up in a good position. He's just here up against a guy who's one of the freakiest athletes in the UFC. For me, Victor Henry is perfectly primed to make a decent run in what is a stacked bantamweight division because he is so well-rounded. Josh Barnett's going to get the plaudits because he's more well-known, but if you watch old fights of Eric Paulson, you can see that he's training Victor Henry. There's hallmarks of his style there. A dedicated clinch game for one. We're actually going to look at this fight, this see how Henry won, because I think Barcelos had his moments, especially in the third round, and all in all, it was a brilliant, brilliant three-round fight with little shifts here and there. Barcelos had his moments, but Victor Henry was a clear winner. What's interesting about the first round is that Barcelos actually comes out a bit more active than I might have expected him to. He tries to set a pace early. Those famous uppercuts, the right uppercut in particular, which is a beastly punch that he throws, he started getting his timing down a lot sooner than I might have anticipated. So what Victor Henry did was quite impressive. He decided to match his pace and then outmatch his pace. Barcelos goes from being on the front foot and being assertive and clearly winning a round to being pushed back ragged, forced to fight at a pace he's not comfortable with and paid for taking the initiative, paid for being on the front foot. Henry does some really interesting things. If he misses punches, he'll punch off the switch. So he goes southpaw and throws a right hand off of that. And later on in the, in the, in the round, he just sort of starts swarming all over. Barcelos had him hurt, pushed back the cage, uses that to frame off with his left hand and then land the knee upstairs not giving him any breathing breathing room at all on the cage. And what was looking like a clear Barcelos round, well, Henry's got him ragged, clearly hurt. Even if he's not hurting him with them punches, the optics are that Barcelos on the back foot, he started to shake, mainly, I assume, from the gas tank being depleted. And for me, it was a brilliant start from Henry. He managed to outman the superior athlete and the, and the faster fighter with sheer technique. Willpower. It is worth noting that Henry has one of the most ridiculous chins in the sport. don't think he's ever been stopped. I, I don't think I've barely seen him hurt. He does get hurt briefly in the third round, which obviously we will get to. Henry just continued to build on his success. He showed Barcelos a front kick, and then he'd punch off that kick. Then he showed him the rear kick, and then he stepped down and throwed the right hand in the shift like he did in the first round. When Barcelos tried to take him down, Henry got straight back up. Reverse position and put Barcelos on the cage and then start using those knees again. Every range that Barcelos tried to compete in, Henry was better than him. Barcelos actually made a pretty interesting uh, tweak himself in the second round. He started punching with Henry. Rather than waiting for opportunities to land big left hooks or the big uppercut, he started throwing punches in bunches when Henry would come forward. Henry showed a really great ability to catch punches on the gloves, slip and then pivot back out, taking away the initiative again. Essentially, anything Barcelos could do, Henry could do better. 
Josh Barnett really did give good corner advice as well in between rounds two and three and told Henry to continue with a front kick, which I thought was working for him. As soon as that started to get going in the second round, Barcelos didn't really know what to do and everything else came off of that. The third round was much of the same, but there there's some really interesting moments in this round. Henry got a rear body lock at one point against the cage and, and just completely drowned Barcelos in foot stomps and heel kicks and all these kind of veteran tricks that you know Paulson and Barnett have uh, laid on him. But once actually got back, once Barcelos got out of that position, Henry showed a really, really savvy move. There was a point where they got into both into a single collar tie situation and, and Barcelos' right hand was free. And as we know, that right uppercut from that position is a danger, a danger shot for him. Henry quickly grabbed wrist control, completely negating any sort of serious issue to arise from that position. It's little things like that that kept him in control. Although Barcelos did have one last rally left in him. Very smartly, uh, he threw a right high kick and then a left hook off of it, which got through. I suppose he sensed a weakening in Henry at that point. As then he threw off a brutal salvo of punches, all which seemed to get through. Henry just pivoted out to his left, regained his bearings, and then continued to boss the fight. I thought 30-27 across the, across the uh, cards might have been a tad unfair, only because Barcelos had some big moments uh, that maybe you could see him winning one round. But for me, it was a clear winner, and that was Victor Henry. And he's come in... He's now going to leap into a division which is already the deepest of the UFC. And he's clearly a guy who's ready to make a run. As I say, he's 34 years old. He's a veteran of the sport. He must have had over 20 fights by now. Don't know his full record. But quite frankly, he's... I'm sure everyone watching that fight knows that he's a savvy guy, well-rounded. And he's basically ready for anyone in that sort of 20 to 10 range. As for Barcelos, I think now with the last two fights we've seen that his ceiling is a lot clearer. He's another guy who's 34, and for a while it seemed that the UFC just didn't know how to match him or didn't want to match him. And now in two consecutive fights, we've seen his shortcomings. Either he can't take the initiative and seems to lose rounds based on sheer volume, or he tries to take the initiative, and he hasn't got the stamina to sort of keep up with it, hasn't got the process to keep up with it. However, he's still a really talented fighter. And for me... For certain matchups, he can make for great fights, and for certain matchups, he can still continue to move up the rankings. I still think UFC have matched him weirdly. Victor Henry is a debuting fighter, and it's not like Barcelos hasn't got any clout whatsoever. He's got some sort of a name for himself. So it'll be interesting to see if they uh, go with what they were going to do for his matchup before Henry stepped in, match him up with a loser. I mean, I think Cody Stamen's lost a couple on the bounce now, and Barcelos officially has lost two on the bounce, so could do that. Stamen, of course, just lost in mere seconds to uh, Namagamadov on the undercard. Barcelos, of course, has fought before. As for Namagamadov, I've just mentioned, and for Victor Henry, the sky's the limit, really, in terms of the matchups they could have. You've got guys on the sort of peripherals of the top 10 who are well past their best, like Frankie Edgar and, and Pedro Munoz. You've got guys like Ricky Simon who are on a good run. But there's so many guys in this sort of 15 to 25 range for these guys to fight. I mean, they can fight each other to see who's ready for the top 15. I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, but after such a brilliant win and still stepping on relatively short notice, I'm just glad to see that Victor Henry's getting another chance and it's well earned. But at this point, it does appear to be a little bit far away from the very best of the division. Speaking of the very best of the division at 125... 
we finally got an answer to who was the best, uh, Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo. We're going to talk about that just after this. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show indeed. Um, we're going to actually look through all three of the Figueredo Moreno fights and figure out how the ebb and flow changed between them all. Obviously, they're all vastly different. We see different approaches from Figueredo as we go through the trilogy. I'm pretty comfortable in saying that he's come out on top. Don't think there's any need anytime soon for a fourth fight. But let's cast our minds back to the first bout to see how that went. Then we'll go over the second one. And then we'll talk about the bout we just had at UFC 270, which was an absolute corker. The first one, which was the draw, uh, was back at UFC 256, uh, December 12, 2020. And I remember at the time thinking it was pretty clearly a Figueredo win. At least if you understand how the bouts are supposed to be scored. Uh, Daniel Cormier made me embarrassed for ever being a fan of him, where after the second round he said... Uh, I think it's 1919 because of two takedowns from Moreno, which Figueredo had exploded out of and, and got up within seconds and pasted him for the majority of the round. What was interesting about this fight is that I think it's the last time we really saw the old Figueredo and the first time we saw potentially what I would call the new Figueredo or the post-prime Figueredo. Perhaps I'm being harsh, but we'll get there. We'll go through my hypothesis now. Um, the draw, uh, the draw uh, is difficult for me to argue. To be honest, with you. even with the point deduction for the for the low blow, um, and the really good fourth round for Moreno. Moreno doesn't really feel comfortable entering the pocket until the fourth round. He gets some good shots off. He does hurt Figueroa more than once. I think he's tired more than anything else, but he does hurt him. It cannot be denied. For the first half of the round, Figueroa is getting off some big shots too. But that round is definitely Brandon Moreno's. Saying that, I still find that I could argue a 49-45 better than a draw. The first couple of rounds, Figueredo is at his figgy best. He's pressing forward, not giving Moreno any time. He's got offensive variety. We see lead elbows, stepping elbows, big body shots, spinning kicks... The usual array of powerful punches, including that ramrod jab. He's taking the initiative. He's pushing Moreno around. The most important thing is that he's landing big, hard strikes, which is, of course, the impact, the most important part of the scoring criteria. But after that fourth round, when Moreno does seem to get to him, it's Moreno that calms down in the fifth. And it's Figueredo completely changes his approach as well. A more languid, back foot style. Pot shot in. Now, of course, that makes sense. You just had 20 minutes of really tough back back and forth action. You're going to defend your title. Moreno's calmed down a bit. You can then boss the pace. And what I thought going into the second fight was probably just due to awful weight cut for Figueredo. Was it more? 
Was it a whole change in philosophy? UC 263, June 12th, 2021. Exactly six months after their first fight. Figueroa, tough weight cut. Looks a mess. A very, very negative style. Barely pot shotting. There's a moment where in the second round where uh, Figueroa gets a a body lock against the cage. Moreno gets out. There's no punch on the exit. There's nothing. Figueroa just takes three steps back, concedes the range, gets back to the centre octagon, and Moreno's back to the races. Totally the opposite to the first fight and to other Figueroa fights where he bulldozes his way in. Gives no ground. Lands the kind of shots that win rounds. It's interesting because Figueroa has often been seen as some kind of mini Yoel Romero. This guy who explodes into dangerous stuff every so often and that's how he wins fights. But if you watch that first fight with Moreno, his style was conducive to winning rounds. Not only is he setting the pace, dictating the range, he's using it to get off a series of effective, impactful blows. But the second fight, he's going for low percentage pot shot and single strikes. Moreno, needless to say, to anyone that followed this series, eventually got a body triangle on Figueredo, dominated him on the mat. Actually, let's just scale back a little bit. In the third round, Figueredo does seem to... Uh, sorry, I think it's in the, actually in the beginning of the second round. Figueredo actively t- gets a takedown, dominates inside control for a while, doesn't really get anything done with it. Seems to be working his way towards his patented guillotine. But this seems less explosive in all phases. And then in the third round, obviously, Moreno gets the body triangle. They fight grips for a bit. And then eventually, uh, I think it's like a neck crank. And then eventually he gets the, the, the rear naked choking clean. Gets a tap. And a quite unbelievable turn of events. Wins the title. Now, if you'd asked me, I would have said that Figueroa's change of style was because of the awful weight cut. I think he was trying to pace himself. Then I considered that, you know, after that, he's probably passed his best. Is he ever going to make the weight good again? Why are they even doing a rematch? I'm happy for Figueroa's to move on. But then he comes out of this third fight with clearly having a much better cut. And in some ways, looks more like the Figueroa of the fifth round of the first fight. And the whole approach he took in the second fight. But makes it work for him in the third fight. So was it? A bad weight cut? Yeah, sure. But it doesn't mean that the philosophy change for Figueredo isn't for real. So let's try and figure out what happened in this third fight. Now, first and foremost, Moreno looked to me to be absolutely superb, confident, more creative of his striking, not just barreling in with combinations. There was some really cool stuff he did, including the Andy Hu spinning back kick to the leg. Famously, which he used to beat Mike Bernardo when he won the K1 Grand Prix at long last. Which is always good for a Andy Hoog fan like myself. I like that. Just seemed to be feeling himself anyway. Moreno, befitting a champion. It was confident. But Figueredo adds a little layer to his ability and his want to dominate range. A more consistent kicking approach. Sorely missing from the second fight. This means Moreno isn't able to get the left hook off as regularly. Figueiredo consistently commits 
to the low calf kick. And just like that, the dynamic of the fight changes. As if I wasn't already annoyed with Cormier anyway, generally, because he's a terrible commentator, um, and annoyed with myself. Let me just scale back. Back in the strike force days when he was the strong, silent type, he was a badass. The more he kept crying and talking and basically just making himself the personality and less the fighter, especially the more he commentates, the less I can grasp how I was such a big fan of his, you know, 10-odd years ago, 10, 11 years ago. But anyway, tangent over. What really annoys me, um, tangent about Cormier, not over, uh, tangent about Cormier once being lovable over. In the first round, um, Rayner gets sat down to his knees with, I think, a, a low kick and then frozen over and right from his knees, which which lands well. It's a good shot. And Cormier acted like Figueroa was badly hurt. And the angle at the time meant I couldn't actually see uh, Figueroa's legs. So I didn't actually score that round until I had the benefit of the of the replay. And nothing happened. It was completely innocuous. He, he, he barely seemed to acknowledge the shot. It was bizarre. Likewise, in the second round, the cross counters, which worked so well for Figueredo in the first fight, become a factor again. And they're clearly sledgehammer-style shots. They're acknowledged, but Moreno will land a, a, a half-decent left hook, and Rogan and Anik and Cormier are saying things like, Moreno's got the power advantage, which is crazy. Meanwhile, I've just seen sweat fly off his head every time uh, Figueredo twats him. I don't really get my head round. Well, my assumption is that, you know, UFC top brass want a, a Mexican name and thus they're towing the company line. But these guys love to latch on to a narrative. Uh, and they seem to be running with the same narrative from the second fight, which is bizarre. Because it's clear to see that the Figueredo come out to this fight is a completely different one. I'm not sure which work, um, what work Henry Cejudo actually did with Figueredo. Obviously, he's in much better shape. He's added a, you know a wrinkle to his game tactically. He's already a good kicker, but now he's more consistent with it in terms of the approach that he wanted to get across in the second fight. Is therefore working for him. And I'm not really seeing... Um, I mean, there, there is a moment where, where Moreno gets Figueiredo's attention in the second round. There could be no doubt about it. I'm not, not dismissing his work entirely, but for me, I'm going into round three and pretty much considering if it's... Okay, what one round of piece is relatively fair, but for me, I've got Figueroa two rounds up. The third round is definitely the most interesting, at least in the last ten seconds. Although the last ten seconds are really interesting, but I mean from a scoring perspective, the clip that's doing the rounds is the check hook from Figueroa that sends uh, Moreno into a spiral. For me, Moreno knew he was hurt, knew he was off balance, and rolled out of it. It's the sequence which follows that for me, which was more telling in terms of scoring. It's a 2-3. Basically, Moreno doubles up on the jab, uh, moves Figgy that way. It's a 2-3. The two doesn't land, but it just moves Figueredo over to his own right, and bang, he gets hit with a left hook. And for me, the change in his legs was more telling than Moreno sort of flash knockdown and roll, because Figueredo was badly hurt from that shot. He did well to recoup. As the round goes on, he gets closer and closer. What's interesting as well is the difference in... Uh, just little tweaks. I said in the second fight, uh, there was a point where he had uh, Brandon Marino pushed up against the cage and then he backed off, conceded ground. Totally unlike him. This time he needs him on the break. This is way more thought into everything he's doing. And then, of course, the last 10 seconds or so, first is a cross counter, then Figgy drops the shoulder, bang, drops him with the right hand. And for me, 
that clearly seals the round. It's a close enough round up to that point. As I say, Figueroa had been hurt earlier, so it's not a 10-8. But for me, it's a clear Figueroa round. A lot of the adjustments that Moreno actually made in the fourth round, switch kick to the body, was landing. Nice cracking sound. For me, the most impressive offence of that round. It was a close one as well. Um, I think you could feasibly have two and four uh, to Moreno. But the fifth round, they say it's a big moment when Moreno gets a body lock and, 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 and does a trip takedown on Figueredo. You see the difference completely from the Figueredo of the second fight to this fight. It's more like the Figueredo we know and love. Gets the butterfly straight away, flicks him off, and he's straight back up. That's not scoring in any way, shape, or form. Now, the flash knockdown in this from the straight right through the, down the pipe is nothing like the one at the end of the third round. Nothing at all. But optics-wise, it looks great. And Figueroa just lands far better offence in the fifth round. For me, it's a clear 48-47. Uh, as I say, I could give Figueroa the second round. I was happy to give him the second round. Easy to be 49-46. 48-47 seems just about fair, actually. As I say, two's, two's close. Four is close, but I lean Moreno, just to be fair. But either way, the story of this fight, or rather the story of the trilogy, is that Davison Figueroa managed to beat Brandon Moreno two different ways. That, for me, shows his supremacy, despite the fact that probably the best individual win goes to Moreno in the second fight, even given the fact that you know, Figueroa was somewhat physically depleted by the looks of it. So, for me, the big question is, is there actually any need for a fourth fight? Technically, they're 1-1-1. One, one, and one. You know, You'd think, yeah, of course, have a, have a decider. But for me, it's very much the same as the Tyson Fury-Wilder third fight. If the scoring was done correctly in the first time round, they never would have needed a third fight because Fury would have already been 2-0 up. Obviously, we've already had three fights. So for me, Figueroa should be 2-1 up. Okay? Totally different dynamic in the sense that Fury hadn't got dominated and, and stopped in one of those fights. But the fact matter is that we can't keep doing constant rematches until we get a tally that we're happy with. The only thing that would give me pause is the fact there isn't really a, a legit contender out there to take on Figueredo in the interim. We should be building up to a fourth fight, in my opinion. They should go their separate ways, fight someone else, and then maybe December 2022, we can have a big one. You know, maybe in Mexico. Let's have what Figueredo asked for, but I think it's only fair for the champion that you do in Brazil, but certainly a massive card in Mexico would be would be great for everyone. The atmosphere would be insane. You can't exactly give anyone else a title shot, can you? Kaikara France and Askar Askarov are due to fight, but what if Askarov wins? You can't give Askarov a title shot because Moreno was victim of an egregious robbery when he fought him. It was a couple of years back, admittedly. I'm still trying to get my head around that one. It was in Mexico, and I still can't understand how Moreno didn't win on every single card because it was clear as day that he won that fight. I guess the Pantoja rematch would be amazing. Uh, the Figueredo Pantoja one was absolutely incredible, breathtaking fight, and one of the best of, of the decade. And Pantoja's on a run. There'll be talks of Kai Cara France, he's just not ready, it's not happening. And as I spoke last week, Brandon Royval was not ready either. And again, these are fighters that Moreno's already beaten. But then Pantoja beat Royval and lost to Askarov. What the fuck do you do? I guess a fourth fight with Moreno wouldn't be that bad. You're going to do a Pantoja-Askarov rematch. I think the only thing you do is, is just go with it. You give Pantoja the rematch. You make the rematch between Moreno and Askarov. Winners fight the winner. Flyweight's just in a bit of a mess. As I said last week, doesn't appear to be any great contenders coming through. 
and it's a bit of a mess because one guy beats another guy but then he loses to this guy but that guy he lost to beat another guy that he beat it's a real round robin type situation at the moment and we haven't really got any sort of clarity as to who deserves the next title shot but I'd prefer it if they didn't do it for the fourth time in a row no real issue with a fourth fight if they keep on winning but I don't think there's any need to do a fourth fight in a row but what do you think? Who do you think should get the next title shot? Did you think that Figueiredo won this fight clearly? Did you agree with how I saw it? Do you agree that now he's beaten Moreno in two different ways that we could pretty much close off the rivalry for now? Either way, let me know at Combat CHR. That's Combat with a zero. And of course, as the Sting said earlier, head on over to www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles to support the podcast even further. You may be wondering why I'm not talking about the huge elephant-sized dongs in the room. That is Cyril Garn versus Francis Ngannou. And that's because with my good friends over at Heavy Hands allowing me on this week to talk about that fight and also to plug my podcast, I'm going to be plugging theirs by telling you to go and check that out when it comes out later on next week to see what my thoughts were on that main event. But again, you can head over to my Twitter at CombatCHR, that's Combat with a Zero, to get some sort of idea of what I already think about it. Although I'm sure over the next couple of days... I'll have an even better grasp on that fight, which was a pretty bizarre one. And we'll have a good old chinwag about it on heavy hands with Conor Rebush and Phil McKenzie. So look forward to that. And thanks again for checking out this podcast. Tell your friends about it. And I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.